Hello, and welcome to Sounding Out with Izzy, the podcast where we have conversations with musicians, music producers, publicists, live promoters, zine makers, journalists, and more about their experiences working in the music industry as women, non-binary, and queer people. I'm your host, Isabel Corp the founder of the Queer Femme music-based blog and YouTube channel, A Girl's Two Sound Sense. Well, I can't believe we've reached such an incredible milestone with 100 episodes of this podcast. I couldn't be happier or more grateful for everyone who has listened and reviewed the podcast. And if you've been around since day one and you're still around, I love you. For today's episode, I am joined by Lisa Mahach, who runs Little City Sounds and Omni Sound Project. She also has an amazing podcast called Reference Tracks, where she chats with influential musicians and producers about three songs that shaped their lives and careers. So today I decided to turn the tables on Lisa and ask her what her favorite five songs of the past year have been. And in honor of reaching 100 episodes, I've decided to make this episode a slight callback to my very first episode, where we had a chill sesh simply listening to our favorite songs of the moment and talking about why we love them. And without further ado, let's get right into this episode. How are things going? What's going on in your life right now? Are you currently traveling? Yes, I'm in Austin and usually in Montana, but I'm in Austin right now. And so it's free week here. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but basically all the venues host free shows. So I'm hoping to get out and do a couple of those this week and see some new bands. How about you? That sounds awesome. Well, not quite as exciting. I am a little sick. Um, I think we all got like the post-holiday travel bug. Um, mm-hmm. But it could be it could be worse. It's pretty mild, honestly. Good. Yeah, I know a lot of people are sick right now. Yeah. Not a sleigh. Zero out of ten recommend. <laughs> <laughs> well, would you like to introduce to uh, our listeners what who you are and what you do? Yeah. My name's Lisa Mahach, and I run Little City Sounds and Omni Sound Project. So I was an event planner for a really long time and a musician kind of on the side. And then I started a little hobby project right when the pandemic started called Omni Sound Project. And that was providing like online classes and audio engineering for women and other gender minorities. And so I started that in like February of 2020. And when the pandemic started, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't working. And so I gave that my full-time effort. And of course, a lot of people were really into it and it grew really fast. And then through that, I had a lot of musicians asking me for just like business advice. So I launched Little City Sounds, which is consulting and coaching for independent musicians. And that's what I do full time now. That's really awesome. Um, 
How have you seen the scope of the project change from when you started it um, in 2020 up to today? Yeah, well, as far as Omni Sound Project goes, that started off being like all classes, um, the theme being audio engineering education, but the way we were doing it was all meeting on Zoom. And just this last year, it went really strong for three years. And just in 2023, we really lost our attendance just plummeted. And I started asking the leaders of other organizations if that was happening for their online classes. And it really was. And it was happening in classes that I was even going to. And so I just was like, oh, people just were done with Zoom for now. You know, obviously meetings like this are fine, but to go and take classes and sit there, which is not really the way people want to learn anymore. So this year, I actually made a really big jump with Omni Sound Project and converted it to a digital publication on Substack. So we're still providing audio education for um, women, queer people, non-binary folks, trans folks, but it's in written format now. And it's through like, I do two posts a week and they're on different topics. And that's how we that's how we spread the education now. So that's actually been really well received. And I think I think I, I noticed the energetic shift that was happening in me and kind of assumed it was happening with a lot of other people that we were craving a little more like connection and depth these days than ever before. <laughs> so it's working out well. Yeah. Um, you mentioned how the connection and depth seems to be stronger than ever. Uh, what do you think was the root cause of that? You know, I was thinking about it. I think, I mean, social media has been around for what, like 15 years now. And that's a whole generation of people. And if you're my age, that's, you know, half of your adult life. And I think we're all just really tired. I don't know if I'm making super broad generalizations, but like, it just feels like it's been percolating for a while that I've been hearing people leaving different platforms, just giving up on different platforms or focusing on one platform. And certainly in the music world, you know, the self-promotion side of being a musician is so draining. And so all of a sudden, I just, it felt like this kind of groundswell and like people are just leaving left and right. And are you express, are you experiencing that with like your colleagues and friends that people are kind of taking breaks or finding other ways of connecting? That's a good question. I don't really know because a majority of my friend group and my colleagues have to stay online um, as a means to an end, um, so right. to speak. Um, maybe, but I have noticed that they've kind of ditched personal socials altogether mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's a work thing now. Um, so it's definitely not, um, it doesn't feel ex as exciting as it once did, you know? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And it kind of just begs the question of like, nobody's having fun there, then why are we there? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I love podcasts. I love connecting with people this way. I provide through Little City Sounds. I just do all one-on-one -on -one consultations and that's the best so I'm just kind of trying to step away a little bit from that. I had the revelation I created more social media content in the last 10 years than I did music. And that was like a real big heartbreak <laughs> to realize that.
Yeah, for sure. It's like, what what are we even doing this for if all we're trying to do is help boost um, the algorithm in our favor and not actually creating anything in the process anymore, you know? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with like content creators, but I just want to be a creator who then has to has to make content here and there to meet new people, but focuses on the actual creation, like creative side, you know? Yeah. So I think the big, big question on my mind right now, just out of my own curiosity, what was the biggest takeaway you had from chatting with Susan Rogers? Oh my gosh, man, I've been lucky enough to talk with her a couple of times. So for those who are listening, you might not know who Susan Rogers is. She's an audio engineer and she is best known for her work with Prince, although she's responsible for a lot of really big hits from the 80s and 90s. Um, so to definitely take a look at her discography. Um, she is fascinating to me because at about when she was kind of in middle, mid-age, about the age I am now, which is just shy of 50, um, she went back to school and she got a PhD or an advanced degree anyway in, in the kind of neurology and science of sound. And so she wrote a book a couple of years ago called This Is What It Sounds Like, which is, you know, a, a tribute to Prince. And she breaks down, you know, the physiology of what's happening in your brain when you listen to music specifically. And I'm just a nerd for that stuff. I used to have a robust meditation practice and used to teach meditation and just very into learning about how the brain works and how we can rewire the brain. And so I highly recommend it to people. It's super interesting. And she's just a, a genius, really. So speaking with her is always a treat. She's so generous with her time. She's full of great stories. Um, I don't know if you listened to the podcast interview that I did with her, but she's just like, I edit all of my podcasts really heavily. I usually talk with my guests for about an hour and then cut it down to about 20 minutes of conversation with her. I was like, I can't, I can't cut any of this. Like, it's just, she's, you just kind of give her one question and she just goes and it's amazing. Sorry, dog break. <laughs> what kind of dog? I have a little terrier who's just bouncing all around the floor right now. <laughs> Her name's Dottie. Dottie, that's so cute. <laughs> my great aunt was named Dottie. I love that. Everybody says, people are like, my grandma was named Dottie. Her name, they, they named her when I, before I adopted her and they named her Dorothy. And I thought that was a ridiculous name for a dog. So I <laughs> shortened it. She knew her name, so I couldn't change it. So we went with Dottie. So sweet. <clears throat> so I thought it would be fun since I am a certified Spotify for podcasters user now. Um, and since this is in your wheelhouse to ask you what some of your five reference tracks for 2023 are yeah i love that question as you know as you knew i would um, so my podcast is called reference tracks and i interview people and ask them what three influential songs were that shaped their career their lives and what's cool about the spotify app is that you can actually embed the music that that you know is being discussed into the episode and so my listeners if they're listening on the spotify app they'll hear us talk for a while 
there, and then we'll pause and we'll actually play the song, which you can't do on other podcasts without a pretty robust licensing agreement. Um, and so Spotify takes care of that for us. So that's really nice and unique. So I was excited to get your question. I did make a list. I'm going to go over here to my little cheat sheet. Give me one second to pull it up. You were asking specifically about 2023 and I happen to make um, playlists like you do. My playlists are themed by season. So I always do like, you know, winter of 23, spring of 23. And so I just went back. It was an easy question because I just went back and looked at those playlists to see which ones I was playing a lot. So my first one that I chose was a song called Fables. Um, and it's by Rahil or Rahil. I don't know how you say her name. And Beck was the producer. If you haven't heard this song, it's just, oh my gosh, it's so good. It's such a groove. And there's this incredible guitar on it. It's got a very Beck feeling but then with female vocals and lyrics um, so that was a in heavy heavy rotation I also love a song called Sh Strawberry Chainsaw by Yanni this is reminds me it's a current it came out in 23 but there was a genre of music when I was younger like kind of more around early 2000s and it was a record label called Kindercore and there were a lot of bands like of Montreal, Apples and Stereo, these kind of kooky, fun, like pop bands were on this record label. And I love that sound. And Yanni is a band that's current, but really has the throwback to that sound. Just kind of heavily produced, fun pop songs. Um, and then speaking of heavily produced, have you heard of Jessie Ware? I love her. Yes, me too. So that was a huge favorite of 2023. Specifically, I chose the track Begin Again. If folks listening don't know Jesse Ware and you're into just smiling and dancing and having a great time, you have to go check her out. It's like pretty much just straight up disco, wouldn't you say? It is. Yeah, it's very disco. It's very like, um, it's like, I really love like the and it feels fresh too among yeah, like totally I, yeah i feel like when dua lipa released future nostalgia and the weekend released his 2020 album like right in the same year i feel like a lot of people tried to like really cheaply replicate the um yes. the 70s to 80s dance revival thing with pop but with jesse Ware, it fe it feels authentic which i like totally yeah, it doesn't feel a part of that that world at all. It's like her own. It's one of those few songs that you hear where you're like, who is this? You know, nowadays it's so easy to just tune things out. We pop on release radar and then just kind of like let it play in the background. And when that song Begin Again came on, there's no ignoring that. <laughs> it's so fun. I also went with Half Dream, which is a smaller band out of Austin, Texas. They're actually playing the free week that I was talking about earlier. And they have a great track called Cypress Tree. And I think they kind of embody something like there's a definite like Austin sound. And Austin is full of really amazing musicians who are terrible at the music business. And so we've never done a good job of like defining collectively like what an Austin sound is you know I think a lot of people think of country music or hip-hop thank goodness we've got a bigger hip-hop scene nowadays but there's a there's a real interesting kind of folky rock sound that I hear a lot of bands here have and Half Dream is one of those 
And then another Austin local, Buck Meek uh, of Big Thief fame, um, came out with a new album this year called Haunted Mountain. And I pretty much love every track on that. Have you heard that one? I have not, but I am more than familiar with Buck's work with Big Thief. Um, Oh, yeah. So I will have to definitely give this the deep dive. Yeah. So those are my five reference tracks. So thanks for asking. It's fun to be on the other side of it. Those are excellent choices. Yeah. I also wanted to talk a little bit about the current um, climate of business practices when it comes to your department of educating and consulting when it comes to music. Is there anything that you would um, change in that department that you feel like would really improve it? Yes. I mean, I think now is just a huge shift occurring basically with the the end of, you know, streaming revenue for musicians um, and the re- recording music is no longer a revenue stream for most people. Um, so on the one hand, it's been democratized to where anyone can record and release music. But on the other hand, it's become so uh, like predatory, I guess, on the part of the corporations and the people that are like owning and distributing that music that the musician, the creator really doesn't make much money anymore. So that's been something that people complain about a lot. And I think that's my biggest challenge with my clients is to shift the mindset of like, we're not, I don't think it's, I don't think it's actually as common with younger clients, but certainly clients who did make money at one time from recorded music and don't now it's been really hard to get them to shift their mindset um it's not coming back the recording industry is not coming back to the it's not going back to the way it was doesn't mean we won't be able to make money from recorded music again someday but that golden era that only really lasted 50 years is gone And we need to go back to the era before that where communities and patrons supported musicians. They would commission work or they would have concerts or they would have, you know, musicians that were representative of their cities or their communities. And radio play, you know, live performances, these things were all what people did before recording. And so... I think we're just in an era where the sooner you can make that shift within yourself as a musician, the sooner you're going to be making some money for music, which is when people say they want to be a professional musician, that's what they're saying. If they just want to make music and have a job, then do that. (laughs) That's a great time to do that because you can, you can release all the music you want, but if you want to make money from it, you need to go back to performing and building community. In my opinion, what do you think? Right. I mean, I agree. Like, it's insane to think about that music was likely more of a lucrative career in, like, 17th century Europe than it is now. Right? Right. Exactly. Because they did take care, you know, people learn about, like, the Medici family that, like, was were patrons of the arts so they would provide a living for people to create art and so I think that's kind of what we need to go back to now there's a huge opportunity for that we have more potential than ever to create our own community of Medici's you know as a as a musician 
Um, but I still just see the focus. It's like every time I meet with people, what's your goal for this year? What's your goal for the next 30 days? Record, 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 record. And it's like, that's cool. It's super fun. I love recording. I'm doing it myself. But like, you need to think of it more as lead generation and marketing rather than the way you're going to make money. So the focus to me should be on performing right now or seek licensing. If you're not a performer and you're somebody who just likes to write and record, get in touch with sync, you know, either publishing or sync licensing and pr promote or, you know, get paid that way. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because there, I've seen like a lot of people, like mostly older men who have the take, um, who have a take like, this is how Tom Petty like wrote Free Fallen and it was like completely like fun and I wish we can go back to a time when people recorded music without like a marketing plan and yada yada yada. And I'm just like, people still do that though. They yes, still that's the thing. make music for the, do you think they're going into writing a song thinking, okay, what's the marketability of stanza number one in verse one going to, no, nobody does that. When <laughs> like, you hear people, I know when you hear people like that saying that they wish they could go back or that Austin's changed so much. Austin's just not the same place it used to be. It's they're lamenting their youth. <laughs> they're lamenting that they're trying to hang on to something that's gone within themselves. It has nothing to do with the music industry or the city you live in or the food you eat. I mean, things change and the name of the game is adaptability and if you stay curious and you and you still enjoy learning, I mean, the truth of the matter is I can't go see a show at midnight anymore. I just literally physically can't do it. But I can spend a lot of time pouring over Spotify and seeing new, finding new artists and then going to their page and buying their vinyl record to support them. There's a lot of ways that I can stay vibrant and fresh and know new music. So I think those guys, I mean... I don't know. I don't, I've never wanted to go back to an era because I see, I still see creativity all around me because I've created my life that way. And I think they're just, I think they're just bummed that they're like, no one's paying attention to them anymore because they've just been complaining for 40 years, you know? Exactly. It's like, this can't have anything to do with me. So I'm going to make it about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, anytime, or it's like when people say music isn't as good as it was when I was a kid, like, Bullshit. That just means, yeah, it's like, it's just impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could have a conversation about the current like politics of radio and like chart politics and, but that's a whole other thing. It's always been the case. Yeah. And it's even easier now. Like I actually air, I think I'm better now at knowing like the artists that nobody else knows than pop music. Like I have no idea who the big pop, who the popular music, I don't know who's on the charts. I just don't, it doesn't come into my orbit, but I know like who's in my community and my genre, you know? And I think that that's, that's a healthier almost way to be because then you can just have these microcosms of support for smaller artists, you know? Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's predominantly what I'm paying attention to as well. Like the only thing I'm re the only time I'm reading anything about like 
people like the the major pop girlies which there aren't really any of those anymore to be honest that yeah and even pop music now like it's not fun anymore it's just all sedated like uh, people trying to be Billie Eilish essentially and like <laughs> yeah Billie but that Eil happens doesn't it yeah. like there's always one big cultural zeitgeist and then for the next few years people just copy it because like when Billie Eilish came out it was so anathema to everything that was on the radio and now turn on the radio that's what everybody's trying to sound like so something's brewing somewhere that'll that'll come out that you know that'll that everyone will copy for the next five years exactly but yeah it's in but I also love like digging into like smaller artists like I have a whole playlist of local people in my town who are creating like some of the best music I've ever heard and yeah. they're playing to like nine people in a, in a bar yeah. in like Ridgewood um mm -hmm. but I feel like that's like where you find a lot of the magic too it's like it don't, don't look for the stuff that everyone tells you is popular or that you're supposed to like because yeah yeah then you're not even forming your own opinions at that point yeah i think for people who i mean i think there's a whole group of people alive who for whom music is just the background to their lives right for me that's never it's always the foreground if i'm at a party or if I'm at a friend's house for dinner and music is playing, that's what I'm going to be listening to above all else. Um, and generally when you're that kind of a person, you're surrounded by other people like that. So then the conversation just turns, it turns into a listening party, right? Everyone's just listening to the music. Um, but you have to remember that, like, I have to remind myself, that's just not the way the general public lives. And so for them having these pop songs, one thing I love about pop is I love that it does still have it is still a cohesive reminder of an era for a lot of us so for me Dua Lipa levitating for, that was the summer that you know we all got vaccinated and we're like traveling again and going to shows again and so for me I can have I have specific memories of that summer of just like being in the car with people and having that song on and just having so much fun, you know, even at this age and just feeling like I was like 14, you know. And so I love I love pop music for that reason. I like that I do enjoy that it's still distributed on such a level that everyone can know a song. Um, but I think for some people, that's where it stops. You know, they don't go further than that. And that's OK. <laughs> But the rest of us just need to do a better job of supporting the the independent folks. Yeah, exactly. Um, I can't remember who said this, but somebody said at one point um, that there's a whole market of music out there for people who don't like music. <laughs> maybe it was Steve Albini. I can't remember. Yeah, but, maybe. Or someone similar. But That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> And a lot of music is manufactured like that just to be background noise. Yeah. Um, and a minute ago, you kind of referred to like nobody's creating for the algorithm, but, you know, true, like I knew what you meant, but there are a lot of like entities that are creating for algorithms, which is crazy to me. Like it's like it, it's like machines writing for machines. <laughs> yeah. You can ask ChatGPT to write a big thief song now. Right? Yeah.
Yeah. And then, but then it's like, you're doing that so that like an algorithm picks it up and puts it in a certain genre. So it's just so ironic that it's like, we're, yeah, we're using machines to get other machines attention. So I think that's what people are just starting to be like, I just can't, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. I'm just going to be a person and trying to get another person's attention, you know? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, if there comes a point where like the only way people are creating is um, assisted by AI and like, I'm not knocking it, like it's helpful. It, uh, yeah. I use chat G GPT to write captions and press releases sometimes, like it does the grunt work. Oh yeah, but, I use it on the daily. But it like, but I'm still putting my own creative input into like modifying it so it fits my voice like i'm not gonna copy paste everything chat gpt spits out you know like yeah well and i think we're just in that era of people are learning how to use it and how to how to use it for the best you can really tell i went to some a really big like financial coach website the other day i'm always looking at people's websites just to try to figure out how they're structured and whatnot and um it was so obvious that his blog was written by ChatGPT, and I was just so surprised. I was like, wow, I would feel like he would have people like on his team that were like checking that, you know, because you can you can tell that voice. So like how I use it, it sounds like how you use it. I go, I give it prompts mostly for outlines for things and ask it to write me like an outline. And then I go in and like fill in and like that's based on like content I've given. I'll be like, here's all here are all my ideas, put it into an outline. And then it comes back with one and then I go back and fill it out with like actual voice. And that's great. I mean, that is such a huge help for like if you're blocked, if you're cranking out a lot of written content, it's so helpful. But people are overusing it. You can really... It has a voice. It has a distinct voice and you can really hear it, you know, when you read things now. If you use it a lot, you 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 learn to recognize it. Yeah. It's like do you know what a copy pasta is? No. A copy pasta is basically like a random block of text that gets copied and pasted throughout the internet um usually containing controversial ideas or lengthy rants but essentially it just gets copied and pasted by a bunch of people in a bunch of different places and essentially like as soon as something becomes a copy pasta that's when it becomes a joke or a meme mm, and gotcha. so like you talking about like how like no one's editing this person's like website like it just reminded yeah. me of like like a copy pasta like yeah there's one of the like big examples is real emo only consists of the dc emotional hardcore scene in the late 90s screamo scene emo belongs to hardcore not to indie pop punk alt rock or any other mainstream genre all in all caps and no one takes it seriously anymore as soon as you yeah. see a tweet that starts with the real emo only consists of dot 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 it's just someone posting a meme um, i have seen that i do know what you're talking about yeah, yeah. i didn't know it had a name but you know what happens in media like it, I mean, I was doing, I did some, um, a Substack publication on uh, the pub, the production techniques used in a Rostam song. And I was like Googling, trying to find out a little bit more about the production of the song. And it was the same thing in a less sub subversive way. It was basically all these bloggers who were just lifting 
the, it was clearly he sent out a press release about his song and the bloggers, rather than taking the time to reach out to him and ask a couple questions or do a little research or whatever, add their own opinions, just basically cut and paste the press release and turned it into their blog post, you know? So it was like, I just kept seeing the same exact like verbatim sentences and quotes from him. And I was just like, there's like 10 articles and they were all identical. So it does happen out of laziness, you know? Yeah, I see that all the time too. And I and that's something that I take a lot of pride in not doing on my blog. Cause mm -hmm, I'm just like, same. I go to earmilk.com and it's just like copy paste press release, no original thoughts whatsoever. Yeah, totally. Um, that's what I'm really liking about Substack. Just as a user, I mean, it's turned me on to so many things already. So I love it. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I have follow a lot of musicians um, over there and I'm pretty new to Substack. I've only been there for about a month. Um, and so I do a lot of reading of their posts, but then also like they repost things. And so I like other people's publications. So then I kind of get into like the literature and politics side that I, of people that I'm not necessarily following. And I just find in general, the quality of writing is so much better. Um, it allows for like Jeff Tweedy will do like uh, song demo recordings and share those with his audience. Um, Patty Smith will do video diaries for her audience. So it's a really, it's just a very genuine spot to connect it feels like yeah like a lot of my favorite writers like who have like full-time jobs like still um like have created Substacks, and i mm -hmm. think that's like so awesome because like it's yeah. they don't have to pitch it to anybody they can just share their unfiltered thoughts um, yeah people like nico stratus or uh, dan ozzy i think dan ozzy has a Substack now and it's really awesome to see because you can tell it wasn't like edited formally. Yeah, totally. Run. It's it's diary style. Yeah. Like I, I write for Tape Op magazine and that's, you know, interview format and, you know, pretty thought, you know, I do a lot of research and spend a lot of time before I interview my guests and Substack. I just basically, I mean, I do edit it and proofread it and stuff, but like it's basically just like whatever I'm thinking at that time, which is really nice and freeing. Since like we were talking about Susan Rogers earlier, I thought, why not? Um, what is your favorite Prince era? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not as familiar. If you asked me that about other musicians of my youth, cause he was a musician when I was a kid, um, I would say, you know, George Michael had more of an impact on me in that way, like with sexuality and politics and open-mindedness and things like that. Um, Prince, you know, Prince was more of pop music to me. I didn't do a real deep dive into the later work. And I know it's at the point now where his discography is so vast now that they've released a lot of unreleased things and there's a lot of demos out there that I just, it's almost like, I don't know what I'm waiting for, but it just feels like this project I'm like putting off, you know, <laughs> like getting into, like diving a little deeper than the pop music, but certainly like his hits were hugely influential. You know, he, he definitely empowered women in a way that was not common for male musicians to do at that time. He brought women to the forefront in a very non-objectifying way. 
you know, he had his, his, his band were made up of mu female musicians and it wasn't like a gimmick. It wasn't like there are these sexy babes and bikini tops playing backup, which is fine too. I love that too. But like, um, you know, he just, it was matter of fact, these are just the best musicians and I love working with them. And that was really cool as a young person to see, you know, in an era where women weren't treated that way very often. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I mean, Wendy and Lisa, Sheila mm -hmm. E. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. like. And Susan Rogers herself. He had a lot Susan of female Rogers. engineers. Yeah. yeah. He liked working with women, according to Susan. Yeah. And I mean, like the whole conversation about like um, him as a person, like is definitely like very complicated, especially like later in his life, because he'd converted to the Jehovah's Witness faith and mm -hmm. um, had some controversial to say the least moments but like the way he did champion women like you could tell it was authentic um mm -hmm. yeah and not a gimmick like you said yeah totally have you read the book the nick hornby book um prince and dickens no but i know you mentioned it on your interview with susan yeah because she yeah i told yeah. she didn't hadn't read it yet and she's in it <laughs> um it's a cool book it's really interesting nick hornby's whole premise is like talk kind of drawing a parallel between their creative lives um and so you kind of go back and forth between background or insights into each of their creative worlds so it's really an interesting book yeah i bet i will have to definitely check it out he wrote high fidelity so he yes. was a 90s icon i guess uh, for my final question if you could have written the soundtrack to any movie what movie would it be yeah i i don't know why but what popped into my head without even be, being able to hear the music associated with it but just something that would be fun to write for was like is like the spirited away um what's that guy's name the oh i can't remember his name the director he's done a million cartoons like that um howl's moving castle and um oh shoot are you looking it up the director yeah Director. for spirited away i'll look it oh, up oh miyazaki yeah miyazaki so i think in my mind like i would love to write i can't think of the exact scores for those movies but they would be so fun to write music for for sure i also think it'd be really fun or amazing to have the kind of talent to score something like downton abbey where it's all the like cinematic orchestra stuff um i'm fascinated by people who can compose music on that level so that would be amazing to have that kind of talent yeah well thank you so much lisa for joining yeah. me thank you it was wonderful to be here and i love your podcast thanks for putting it out there and everything you do yeah likewise <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to episode 100 of Sounding Out with Izzy. And thank you again to Lisa Mahach for joining me this episode. Remember to subscribe and sign up for the mailing list on my YouTube channel and written blog, both under the name A Girl's Two Sound Sense. Give the podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you in the next episode of Sounding Out with Izzy. Thank you.